This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. It's good to see so many people here this afternoon. Uh, I think we've officially filled the building up. Um, Praise God for that. We're having a great meeting here this weekend at Alma. I want to thank the congregation here for helping to make this possible. Um, Your presence and your participation is what's making it a success. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for participating. Uh, All the glory goes to God for all that we do here this afternoon. And uh, we hope and pray that you're encouraged, that you're strengthened, and that you learn something this afternoon that helps you grow in your faith so that when you leave here today, you leave leave different than when you came. That you leave here this afternoon a better servant of Jesus Christ. My message is very simple. And I hope to make it as clear and as plain as I possibly can this afternoon. Christian, I am calling all Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, if you are truly a Christian, then Christian, carry your cross. Carry it today, carry it tomorrow, carry it every day that God gives you here on this earth, carry it down to the day of your death, and leave this life bearing the cross of Jesus Christ. That's my message to you. This afternoon, I I don't know how to make it any plainer. I don't know how to make it any clearer. The theme of our meeting this weekend is the cost of discipleship. Brother Jay did an excellent job last night helping to introduce the topic and the text that we're looking at from Luke chapter 14 to This afternoon, I've been assigned the task of focusing on Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Luke 14, verse 27. Jesus says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, Jesus says, cannot be my disciple. Now, we're talking about discipleship. Uh, This afternoon, and that's a good topic, that's a very important topic. And as Jay taught us uh, very well last night, to be a disciple means to be a learner of Jesus so that we can be an imitator of Jesus, right? To learn from Him so we can be more like Him and we can follow Him. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. And discipleship is important. You know, the first thing I would hope that a person would learn from Jesus is the cost that was required to secure their salvation. And so I want to take a little bit of time this afternoon to kind of start at square one and talk a little bit about your salvation and my salvation and talk about the cost that was required to secure it. Because I think many times we struggle with discipleship because we forget how costly it was to the Son of God to secure our salvation. I'm here to tell you this afternoon, there is nothing more valuable than the salvation of your soul. Nothing. Your soul is the most valuable possession that you have. You know what makes it so valuable? It was given to you by God. And it was made in His image and after His likeness. God has an all-knowing mind an all-loving heart, and an all-powerful will. And when He made you, He gave you a mind, He gave you a heart, and He gave you a will. 
God didn't make anything else in creation quite like that. He didn't give the rocks, the rivers, the trees, the sun, the moon, and the stars a heart, mind, and will. He gave you a heart. He gave you a mind. He gave you a will to love Him, to honor Him, to serve Him, and to glorify Him, to represent Him in this wonderful creation that He has made. Unlike anything else in creation could. That's what we were made for. To glorify God, to reflect His goodness, His love, His power, His wisdom. That's what we're here for. And God gave you a soul. I've never seen a human soul. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know that you can see it. I think it's spiritual in nature. It's not material in nature. You can't see it. In a photograph or in an x-ray, you can't weigh it in a scale or a balance. But you've got a soul. As sure as you said here this afternoon, you've got a soul and I've got a soul. It's our inner man, our inner person. It's really who we are. You know, we're really familiar with waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and we see, we see this earthly shell that we carry through life, but this isn't who we are. Who you truly are is the soul that God has put within you. Your soul is immortal. It'll never die. You know, this body's going to die. It gets older. It gets uglier. It falls apart and it dies. It'll go off to some cemetery and lay in the ground. Soul doesn't die. It's immortal. It lives forever. Our soul is going to live off forever in one of two places throughout all eternity. We sang a song, Brother Lee led a song appreciate him leading that song about how Jesus Christ left the throne of glory to come to this poor and pitiful place because we needed help, we needed deliverance, we needed salvation. As wonderful as we are and as amazing as God created us to be, when you commit sin and when I commit sin, the very first sin we ever committed, We began living a life in rebellion to the one who created us. God didn't create us for sin. He created us for holiness and goodness and righteousness because that's who he is. But when we start to sin and when we give ourselves over to sin and when we become slaves to sin and when we live in rebellion against God because of our sin, we're lost. We're dead. We're condemned. We're under the wrath of God. We deserve death. The very first time you sinned, you know what you deserved? for being so opposite and against what God created you to do and be, you deserve death. God would have been perfectly justified the first time I sinned to just strike me down dead, right where I stood. He didn't. He didn't. He wants something better for us. He wants to save us. And when we sin, there's no way to save yourself from your sin. Only way to save yourself from sin is to die the penalty that's associated with it, and that's the death penalty. That's what we deserve when we sin. We deserve death penalty. And I'm thankful I didn't have to pay the death penalty for my sin. I'm thankful that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, left that throne room of heaven, left a wonderful place, to come to this poor and pitiful place we call earth, to live the life that we live, yet to live it perfectly, without spot, without blemish, without sin. He lived that perfect life. And he took that life to a cross and gave it there as a sacrifice. He paid the death penalty so that you and I wouldn't have to. paid a great price to save us, to restore us and bring us back to God, to repair and mend a shattered relationship between us and God because of our sin. Jesus paid a very, very high price for that. And the salvation of your soul, which is only possible through Jesus, only possible through his death, burial, and resurrection. Only made possible by the, the mercy and grace of God. 
The salvation of your soul is the most important thing, the most valuable thing you could ever have. This is, we know these things because these are the things that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now look at verse 26. For what is a man profited? What do you get? What do you really gain? If he shall gain the whole world, even if you can manage to get it all, what have you gained? What have you profited if you lose your own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You could gain the whole world, but if it costs you to lose your soul, it's not worth it. Because the salvation of your soul is more important than gaining anything and everything this world has to offer. And we, we need to think like this each and every day. We get caught up in earthly pursuits of fame and fortune and, and notoriety and, and different things. We get caught up in all these different earthly pursuits and we forget about the most important pursuit, which should be the salvation of our soul. Because it's the most valuable, the most important thing we've got. Now praise God that salvation is a free gift to us. But just because salvation is a free gift that God gives to us doesn't mean that it didn't come at a high price. It came at a very high price. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, our salvation uh, made possible by God's grace. When we put our faith in Christ, God saves us. He gives us salvation as a gift. It's not of works. It's not something we could earn lest any man should boast. Our salvation is the free gift of God. You know, when things are made available to us for free, I don't know how you are, but I, I, I have a tendency not to appreciate things quite as much when it's just made available to me as free. If, if I can have an endless supply of something that I don't have to pay for, that somebody else has provided, you know, I don't, I don't tend to appreciate those things maybe as much as I should. Because I, I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to make a sacrifice for it. That's, that's, the last way we, that's the very last way we should feel about our salvation. That just because it's the free gift of God, that it, we shouldn't be grateful for it or thankful for it or appreciate it. Because there was a high price that was paid for your salvation. You and I didn't have to pay it. Jesus is the one who was willing to pay it. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, the Bible says, For ye are bought with a price. Oh, there was a price to pay to redeem you, to redeem me, to buy us back from Satan and get us back to God. There was a price that was paid. That's why we need to glorify God in our body and in our spirits, which belong to us. No, our body, our spirit belongs to God because we've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. What was the price? You know what the price was. Paul called the elders of the church of Ephesus to him at a place called Miletus in Acts chapter 20. And he feared that it would be the last time he might see these men who he had worked with and, and known and loved for, for so long. And, and he calls the elders together and he gives them certain warnings and certain things that they need to be aware of and take heed to. And listen to what Paul tells them in Acts 20, 28. He tells these elders, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The price that was paid to save you to give you salvation, the price that was paid was the shed blood of God's only begotten Son. Jesus paid the ultimate price, didn't He? He paid the ultimate price so you and I could have salvation. And listen, if you're here this afternoon 
and you've never taken advantage of that salvation, that wonderful gift that God wants to give to you, you need to get right with God. You need to reach out in faith and in obedience take hold of that gift that God offers freely by His grace. You need to repent of your sin. You need to confess Christ. You need to put on Christ in baptism. You need to do that. Why would you go on any longer not accepting this wonderful gift that's free to you but come at such a high price to God's only begotten Son? It's a wonderful thing that God doesn't charge us anything for our salvation. And, and you know, as far as I'm aware, the church doesn't charge membership dues either, do we? I had, if it does, I'm way behind on my dues. I hadn't paid my membership dues. God doesn't charge you for salvation, and the church doesn't uh, require membership dues. Salvation's a free gift of God, but let me tell you this. The devil wants to make you pay. The devil wants to make you pay for your decision to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, before you come to Christ, you're part of His kingdom. You're part of His kingdom. You're part of the kingdom of darkness, right? That's what the Bible calls it. When we become Christians, we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, right? Satan doesn't like it when he loses people out of his kingdom any more than the Lord doesn't like it when he loses people out of his kingdom. You give your life to the Lord, you seek and find the salvation of your soul. It might, it's a free gift of God, but the devil wants to make you pay for that decision. And the devil is at work. Let me tell you something about the devil. The devil's real. Satan is real. He's alive. And he is working, and he is working hard today. He works in a lot of different ways to try to distract us, to try to turn us away from following the Lord and being faithful to Him. He wants to make you pay for serving God. And He does it in hopes that, you know what, if, if, if He can make you pay to a point that you're willing to give up your faith, that's where the devil wants to take you. He wants to take you to a place where the cost is too much, where I can't take it, where I can't bear it, I can't go on. He wants to take you there so he can get you back into his kingdom. That's what the devil wanted to do to Job. You remember Job? Uh, God, God spoke to, to Satan and he said, Have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen how much he hates evil? He's perfect. He's upright in his generation. He, uh, he maintains his integrity. Have you seen my servant Job? Satan couldn't stand it that Job was so faithful and godly and righteous. And Satan just wanted to get his hands on Job and just work him over. He believed that if he could get his hands on Job and just work him over, that he'd give, he'd give up that God stuff altogether. Right? That's what, that's what the devil told God. In Job chapter 2 verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Can you just see Satan there wringing his hands? Saying, Lord, just let, let, me, let me get a hold of him a little bit. And we'll see how faithful he is to you. Let me make him pay the price of being a godly, righteous, upright man in a perverse and crooked generation. Let, let me make him pay the price and we'll see if he's still faithful to you. I, I, I believe the devil's in the same business today. I believe he's in the same business today. And he's working. He's working hard to try to get us to give up and to turn away from God. So, 
with those things in mind, with you thinking and understanding how valuable your salvation is and how much it costs, let's talk a little bit about what it means to bear the cross. What did Jesus mean when he says, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple? What is he talking about when he says, bear his cross here? Uh, but take the cross, carry the cross, bear the cross is a figure of speech that Jesus used many different times in his teaching ministry, right? We'll look at just a few examples of it. In uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 38, this is when Jesus calls the 12 uh, disciples who became apostles, right? And he sends them out. What did Jesus tell the 12 from the very beginning, from day one? From day one, what did Jesus tell the twelve? Uh, Matthew 10, 38. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Got to take up the cross. He told his twelve apostles, you got to take up the cross. Also in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, uh, this is Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler, right? Remember Jesus' reply to the rich young ruler? Matthew 10, 21, Jesus told him, One thing thou lackest, one thing, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now the rich young ruler wasn't ready. He wasn't willing to take up the cross, was he? You see, he was in love with his riches. He was in love with his possessions. He wasn't ready to let go of those things so he could take up the cross and follow Jesus. And again in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Take up the cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. You know, bearing the cross requires a certain degree of self-denial, doesn't it? It requires a certain degree of self-denial. To bear the cross of Christ means at times, you know, we have to deny ourselves of comfort. Deny ourselves of pleasure. Deny ourselves of popularity. Deny ourselves really of all the things that our sinful flesh wants and desires and craves so bad. Bearing the cross of Christ requires us to deny ourselves, And that's, that's plainly taught here in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. A person who was condemned to die by crucifixion was required to carry that cross to the place of their execution. Now, I want you to stop and I want you to try to imagine this. You've just been condemned to die by lethal injection, let's say. Could you imagine having to be the one to give yourself that shot in the arm? Could you do that? Let's say that you've been condemned to die by firing squad. Could you load the shells into the rifles? Could you imagine that? Bearing the cross, the instrument of your death and untimely demise, carrying that, getting all close and all comfortable with it before you were nailed to it and hung up between heaven and earth and eventually either succumbed to trauma-induced pain or asphyxiation, which was common by crucifixion. Could you imagine having to carry that instrument of death? But that's what oftentimes was required by those criminals who were condemned to die by crucifixion. They had to carry their own cross. Jesus did. When he was condemned to die, we read in, Luke, or excuse me, in John chapter 19, verse 16, uh, Then delivered he him. That's Pilate delivered Jesus, okay, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, that's Jesus, bearing his cross. 
bearing that cross, went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Jesus carried his own cross to the hill of Golgotha. You know, Luke tells us that somewhere between the city and somewhere between Golgotha, Jesus couldn't carry the cross any longer. You see, he'd been scourged before his crucifixion. And scourging was uh, incredibly painful punishment. And that was probably the reason why he couldn't carry his cross all the way to Golgotha. And he had to get help. He had to get assistance. The Bible tells us about that in Luke 23, 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Jesus had been beaten, had been bruised, had lost so much blood from the scourging that he, he couldn't even, he didn't even have the strength to carry the cross all the way to Golgotha. So here's this man Simon from Cyrene and they recruit him and there he is carrying Jesus' cross the rest of the way to Golgotha. Now, to bear a cross in the manner that Jesus did, of course, would have been physically painful and exhausting. These crosses weren't light. Okay? These were giant pieces of wood. Wood's heavy. Wood is heavy. This was a heavy cross to bear. There were no light crosses. They were all heavy. There were no easy grip handles to hold on to. It would have been hard to maneuver that cross. I don't think that they gave them a padded pillow to put on their shoulder. To blunt, you know, the force of that cross bearing down on your shoulder. I don't think you were afforded any kind of cushion or padding to carry that cross with. You know, if you give us the task to carry a cross, we, we, it wouldn't take us long. We'd find the easiest way to do it, and that's the way we do it. <laughs> right? Because that's, I mean, that's our life. That's what we've done, right? Over the last 200 years, we've used all kinds of technology to make everything as easy as it possibly can be. We'd find a quick, fast, and easy way to carry a cross if, that's, if you gave us the job of doing that. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't any, easy for anybody. To have to carry the cross. It was physically painful and it was exhausting. Not only was it painful and exhausting, it was disgraceful and it was humiliating. Now, every now and then I'll see a news story or read one about, you know, somebody carried a cross across Arkansas or somebody carried a cross across the United States and, you know, people will show up on the side of the road and clap and cheer and, and root them on. There wasn't anybody cheering and rooting Jesus on. It was shameful. It was disgraceful. It was humiliating. To walk through those streets carrying that cross, people would spit on him. People would hurl insults at him. People would mock him and laugh at him and make fun of him. That's part of what it meant to carry the cross. I'll tell you something else carrying the cross would have been. It would have been mentally agonizing. I am carrying the instrument of my own death and destruction. The thing that I want rid of more than anything else in the world right now, the thing I want to get away from, the thing I want to run away from as fast as I can, that's the thing I've got to carry right here on my shoulder and take it up on the hill so they can nail me to it and I can die there. Could you imagine what kind of mental torture that would be like? 
I looked high and low around my farm for an instrument of death and destruction, and short of a, short of a firearm, this is what I come up with. You might look at it and say, well, that's just a machete. That's not an instrument of death and destruction. Let me tell you something. In Belize on the 5 o'clock news, almost every night on the 5 o'clock news in Belize, there is a chopping murder that is reported. Uh, guns are very rare in Belize. Gun ownership is very, very uncommon. There aren't many guns in Belize. But everybody has two or three of these in Belize. Everybody. And they keep them sharp and they know how to use them. And when people get mad and upset and want to do someone harm, you know what they do? They get these out and they kill one another with them. It's not a shooting, it's a chopping. This is an instrument of death and destruction. What if I asked you to take this tomorrow and carry it around all day long? Have it right there in your hand all day long. First thing that would happen is people would start looking at you like y'all are looking at me. Like, who's that crazy man with the, with the sword? <laughs> you know what people would do? They'd, they'd start asking you, hey, um, what's with the sword? And what if you had to tell them, oh, this? Well, this is the instrument of my own death and destruction later on today. I'm going to cut my arms off. I'm going to cut my leg off. I'm going to run this thing through my heart, and this thing's going to kill me later. What if that's the answer we had to give to people? Anyone who asked us about why we were carrying a sword. Could you do that? Think about how mentally agonizing that would be. That's what it meant to carry the cross. To carry the instrument of one's own death, one's own destruction. It means it's a figure of speech. Carrying the cross, bearing the cross is a figure of speech. And here's, here's what it all means. Here's what it all boils down to. It means to endure any form of pain any form of hardship, any form of humiliation, any form of disgrace, any form of discomfort, any of that that may come to you for serving Christ, it's to faithfully and patiently endure it. It's the price that we should be happy to pay to follow Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be ashamed. Bearing the cross, though it, it, you know, the world looks at us in shame because we're Christians. The world looks at us in shame because we believe God's word. But, but bearing the cross should not be a shameful thing to us. We need to, be, we need to get to reading 1 Peter. We need to get to reading 1 Peter often. Because Peter in his first epistle especially, prepares us. He gives us the things we need to be prepared for suffering for the cause of Christ. And we're going to suffer for the cause of, of Christ. In one way or another, at one time or another, we're going to suffer for the cause of Christ. Peter tells us here in 1 Peter 4.15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody busy body in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, I'm calling all Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, if you're truly a Christian, listen. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Glorify God. Amidst the pain, amidst the, humili uh, the uh, humiliation, against the suffering, in the midst of shame. When the world pours it on, when Satan gets to working on us and trying to take us to that place where we've got to pay a high price, we don't need to be ashamed. We need to glorify God. Glorify God in the midst of our suffering. I want to talk a little bit about 
Bearing our cross here and now. What does it mean to bear the cross here in the United States today? Okay, what does this mean for us right here, right now? First thing I want to tell you is this. We are so blessed. And Jay said it very well last night. We, we are so blessed as Christians to live in this country. We, like he said last night, we have been living the exception, not the rule. We've had an exceptionally easy time to serve the Lord. We've had almost 250 years of constitutionally protected rights and freedoms which play a big, big part in our ability to serve the Lord and do so freely without fear of harm or persecution. And those, those, those rights and freedoms are a blessing. We need to thank God for those things. Don't worship those rights. Don't worship those blessings. Don't let them become an idol. But they are true blessings that not everyone else on the face of the planet enjoys. And, and, and it's true, it might not be as easy today as it used to be to serve the Lord in this country. But still, I would say this, there is no place on earth today where it is easier to serve the Lord than right here and right now in this country today. There's nowhere else on the earth where it's easier. If you want to, if you make the choice, I don't think you could go anywhere else where it would be easier to serve the Lord. Despite how blessed we are and how easy it might seem for us to serve the Lord, we need to realize that we're going to be persecuted at some time to one degree or another. In one way or another, we're going to face persecution. Right? It's, it's a promise from God's Word. And I don't see a way around it. It's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Yea, it means yes, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All is all. That's you, that's me. If we're living godly in Christ Jesus, we shall. It's not we might. We will. We will suffer persecution. We generally in this country don't face a lot of economic persecution yet. We generally in this country don't face a lot of fear of arrest or imprisonment yet. Our crosses are generally much, much lighter than what a lot of Christians are having to bear in different parts of the world today. But with that being said, I want to point out just a few things that we can expect to face if we're living faithful in, in Christ Jesus. This is part of the cross we're going to have to bear if we want to be a disciple. You're going to have to be okay with being viewed as different. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're truly a disciple of Christ, you are going to be viewed as different. You know why? Because you are different. You are very, very much different than the rest of the world. And you've got to remember who you are. Don't, don't forget who you are. That's why a lot of people struggle with discipleship. That's why they struggle with faithfulness. That's why they struggle with commitment. They forget who they are. Don't forget who you are. You're different. Because you're a servant of the Most High God. Because you're following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that makes you different. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 9, but ye, writing to first century Christians, I'm calling all Christians. You call yourself a Christian? If you're truly a Christian, listen, this is who you are. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. You know what peculiar means? You're different. You're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're peculiar. That's different. That's different than everybody else. Listen, not everybody running down the highway is chosen royal, holy, and peculiar. Not everyone you interact with at school and at work. Not everyone you run into in the grocery store is chosen royal, holy, and peculiar. But if you're a disciple of Christ, you are. 
You are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. You are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A lot of people are still in darkness. We're not in darkness anymore. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord. We're different. And you've got to be okay with that. You cannot be His disciple if you're not okay with being different. Let me tell you something else that will happen. This is part of bearing the cross. You will be labeled and you will be stereotyped. People are going to see you're different. And then they're going to start labeling the difference between you and everybody else. You will be labeled. You will be stereotyped for being a Christian. That's nothing new. That's been around since the first century. Right? In Acts 28, Paul is in Rome. He's awaiting a, a appearance before Caesar. And the Jews there in Rome come to him. And they say this in Acts 28 and 22. But we desire to hear of thee, that's Paul, what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, and the sect that he's talking about is, is Christians, disciples of Christ, the church, as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Everywhere it is spoken against. Okay, that, that's how it started off in the first century. And that's how it's going to be today. You're going to be spoken against. You're going to be labeled. You're going to be stereotyped. You're going to be looked down on. That's what it means to bear the cross. That's what it means to truly be a disciple. You will be criticized and you will be condemned for your faith and for your, for your belief. You will be criticized and you will be condemned. You know, Jay did a great job last night talking about the criticism, the condemnation we sometimes face from our family, right? That's, that's real. That's hard. I know some of y'all have... It's been, a, it's been a great challenge for you to receive the kind of criticism and condemnation that has come from your family because you're trying to be a Bible-believing, Christ-following servant of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus said, For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes, his enemies, shall be they of his own household. And that's hard, it's difficult, when those in our own families become our enemies. Because we made a decision to follow Christ and follow His truth. It's part of bearing the cross. It's part of being a true disciple. You'll be reproached and you'll be reviled. People will revile you. I mean, most of this goes on, but will go on behind your back. And we may be getting into a, a time when more of it's going to be in your face. But yeah, people are going to say things about you. They're talking, they're already talking about you. They're already talking about you. They're already calling you a religious radical. And all other kinds of names and derogatory terms that, that people are already doing these things. And it's just part of bearing the cross. This is something Paul had to face on a regular basis. It's something we're going to have to face, we're going to have to deal with. 1 Corinthians 4 and 13, Paul says, Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled. Paul says, we bless. Being persecuted, he says, we suffer it. Being defamed, he says, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Do you know what offscouring is? I had no idea what that was. I had to look it up. 
You know when, when you got a kitchen sink full of dirty dishes and you pour the water in there and you get to scrubbing and scouring on those dishes, right? Clean them up and then drain the sink. You know, you know what off-scouring is? It's that stuff at the bottom of the sink. It, it literally means that scum, grime, filth. From the world's perspective, we are the scum of the earth. We're the scum of the earth. But that's part of being a disciple. That's part of bearing the cross. Enduring that reproach and enduring this type of attitude and this type of belief. This is what it means to bear the cross here and now. We need to prepare ourselves today to respond to all of this persecution, whether it's, regardless of what degree it is, we need to prepare ourselves today to respond to it in a Christ-like manner. And Paul hinted at that, right? We're reviled and we bless. We, we don't revile back, right? You know, they hit us, we hit them right back. No, that wasn't what it was all, was all about. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 21, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His footsteps. You want to know how to respond to this type of behavior, this type of attitudes, this, this type of treatment that the world gives us? Look to Jesus. He's our example. Follow in His footsteps. What did He do? Verse 23, who when He was reviled... Reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. You know what he did? He did the hardest thing. This is so hard for us to do. This is so hard for us to do because we want to get even. We want to give them a piece of our mind. We want to show them. We want to stand up. We want to make it right. Peter says, when he was suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He just put it in God's hands and trusted God to sort it all out in the end. That's what we need to do. Do we have enough faith in the Lord that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he... He's already said he'll do. He says, vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. He'll take care of it all. He'll take care of the people that hate you, that mock you, that try to harm you. He'll take care of them better than you can. I'll tell you that. We need to do like Jesus did. When, when, to respond to persecution, to respond to this in a Christ-like manner is just to give it to God, commit yourself to God, and let Him sort it out in the end. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Now, maybe you're sitting here this afternoon and you're thinking, could there possibly be a place for me to follow Jesus but not have to really bear this cross that you've been talking about? <laughs> Is there a way to sort of thread the needle and I can follow Jesus but I don't have to bear the cross? Sure. Absolutely. There are all kinds of places and all kinds of organizations who exist to provide you with just that. Just that. Most of the religious world today wants to make your service to Christ as painless, as easy, as comfortable, and as convenient as they possibly can for you. For you. A place where, you know, I can work God around my busy schedule, right? When it's convenient for me, I'll serve God. Those places are out there. Places where it's, it's easy come, it's easy go. You show up if you can, you show up when you want. And if you can't, don't worry about it. If you can't show up, you know, just, just write a check because did you know you can serve the Lord by proxy? Oh yeah, in a lot of the religious world today, you can serve the Lord by proxy. Just send us your money and, and leave serving the Lord to the professionals. 
The people with the certificates and the degrees. You know, just, just leave it to us. Just send us your money. Just send us a check. We'll make it easy for you. We'll do all the work. Just go out and blend in with the rest of the world. Blend in with the rest of the religious world. Don't be one of those religious radicals. We, we don't want any of those. There are many places like this. Many churches, many denominations. They teach that we are entitled and we should expect every luxury and every comfort right there at our fingertips, you know, every waking moment. And they exist to cater to our every desire. So much so that, you know, church buildings look more like rock and roll concert halls with the lights and the theatric smoke. They'll provide all that entertainment for you. They know that that's what people are in love with in their homes. They know that's what they want. They know that's what they're putting on their devices. So that's what they make church about. A theatric production, entertainment. And they know we can't go without our coffee for more than 20 minutes, so they got a coffee bar out in the lobby. Just get your coffee, just get your donut, just come in. And maybe for a few moments, we can look beyond our selfish selves and, and maybe we can find God. There's lots of places that exist. They're just like that. And, and listen to this. In the very, very rare case, you might have to suffer some kind of inconvenience, as minor as it might be for your faith, by all means, post a Facebook rant about it. Start a social media campaign. Set up a GoFundMe account. so that you can get your retribution for whatever minor inconvenience you've had to face for serving the Lord. You can help these groups recruit others by appealing to their lusts, appealing to every desire of their flesh, because that's how they bring people in. It, like Jay said last night, it's easy to follow the big crowd. It's easy to follow and, and get lost in the multitude. There are places where Jesus will be your self-help sidekick. He'll always be there to boost your lack of self-esteem. Because after all, Christianity is about how I get my best life now. It's not about getting any pain or trouble or a struggle or difficulty. Christianity, following Jesus, is how I get my best life now. Is there a place for us? To follow Jesus and not have to bear the cross? Absolutely. I introduce to you, brothers and sisters, mainstream 21st century Christianity in America. It has permeated every denomination. More and more churches of Christ are becoming like this in their effort to stay culturally relevant and relatable. Yes. Let me tell you something about this. This is not Christianity. This is false religion. It is empty. It is vain. It'll get you as close to heaven as atheism will. It'll get you as close to heaven as Islam will. It'll get you as close to heaven as Buddhism will. Call it crossless Christianity. Call it counterfeit Christianity. There's no salvation in it. When you come to Jesus and you say, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I won't bear my cross. Jesus says loud and clear, you cannot. I say you cannot. You cannot. You will not. You are not my disciple. You are not my disciple. If that's the kind of Christianity you want. We need to count the cost. Jesus urges us to count the cost. We need to stop. We need to take inventory. We need to see where our loyalties and our love really lie. We need to examine our faith. We need to be prepared to pay the price. We need to be prepared to pay the price of being a true disciple. 
Are you prepared to pay that price? Christian, I'm calling all Christians. You call yourself a Christian? Are you willing to pay the price? Luke 14, 27, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, setteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? What do we want? What do we really want? Do we want the reward of men here? Or do we want the reward of God in the hereafter? What do we really want? Where's your heart? Where's your loyalty? What is your faith really in? We need to count the cost. I'm here to tell you this afternoon, I say it with all the confidence in the world, whatever it might cost you to be a true disciple, it may cost some of us more than others. It, it really doesn't matter. Whatever it costs you to be a true disciple, pay the price. Pay the price. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. See, we've got to remember the God that we serve... is better than the God of this world. He's better than the one and He's stronger than the one who's working against us. He's higher and greater than anyone who might call us an ugly name for our faith. He's higher or greater than any employer who might fire us for our faith. The God that we serve is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Right? We, that's what faith is all about, Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We need more faith. It, it takes faith to bear the cross, doesn't it? We need more faith. Because without it, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So I don't care what it costs you. Even if it costs you your very life, pay the price. It's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Because God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I want to tell you something else. As you count the costs, recognize this. You're in good company when you faithfully carry the cross. When you're a disciple, a true disciple... And you're carrying that cross every day. As light or as easy as it might seem at any given day, when you're carrying the cross, you're in good company. I want you to listen to the company that you're, that you're keeping. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, the Hebrew writer says this, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. You're in good company with Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David and Samuel and of the prophets. That's whose company you're in. Well, what was so great about those men? Well, just listen. Who through faith, we need more faith. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, Stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's whose company you're in when you bear the cross. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured. They were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. You know what that tells me? Deliverance was offered. It just wasn't accepted. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. 
they were cut in two. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. The world wasn't worthy of these people. This wicked world that we live in didn't think that these people were worthy to live in it. So you know what they did? They took them out of it. They took them out of the world. You know what? Those people were right. God's people aren't worthy of this world. We're worthy of something far much better than this world. We're worthy of something far better. Jesus makes us worthy to stand in the presence of Almighty God. And that's where we'll be someday, forever. In the presence of Almighty God in heaven. That's where we belong. This world? No. That's where we belong. Christian. You call yourself a Christian. If you're truly a Christian, that's where you belong. And that's where you're going. If you'll carry your cross. Carry the cross. Faithfully carry your cross. Do it down to the day of your death. Someday you'll wear a crown of life. I love that. Bear the cross, wear the crown. Sing songs about it. It's true. Jesus promised it. You know, Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. One of those first century churches was the church at Smyrna. Jesus knew the Christians at Smyrna were getting ready to suffer for the cause of Christ. And look at what Jesus told them in Revelation 2.10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Jesus says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. Even if this trial, even if this suffering results in you losing your life for your faith, be thou faithful unto death. Be faithful to the point of that death. Jesus said, If you'll do that, I'll give you the crown of life. I want the crown of life. I know you want it too. You wouldn't be here this afternoon if you didn't. Christian, carry your cross. Carry that cross. And get the crown of life. Would you close with me with a, with a prayer? Please bow your head. Father in heaven... We don't always know what we need, but you do. And Father, if we need more opportunities to suffer for you and for your cause, if it will glorify you, if it will strengthen us, and prepare us and make us fitting to enter into that everlasting kingdom. If that's really what we need, Father. Then bless us with more opportunities to suffer for your name's sake. Give us the faith today that we'll need to face the trials of tomorrow. Help us individually. Help us collectively, Father to stay loyal, to stay true, despite what the world might try to do against us and against you. May we honor and may we glorify you, Father, in any and in all seasons and circumstances. We need your help, Father, to do that. Please help us. Please guide us. Please strengthen us. We ask all this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're here...
and you haven't made that choice, that decision, that first step to become a disciple of Christ, you can do that. You can confess faith in Christ this afternoon. You can be baptized into Christ. You can go forth from this place with salvation. If you came here today without the salvation of your soul, don't leave here today without the salvation of your soul. Do what your Lord, what your Savior would have you to do. Get right with Him. Obey the gospel. We'll help you, we'll help you get right with God today. I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you've been. We'll help you get right with God today. If you need the prayers of the church for any reason, any way we can help you, please make it known by coming forward, having a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.